This week on The Futurists, Trujana Karavamath. Because of the unintended consequences associated with AI, we don't know what kind of a consequences, whether positive or negative, it would bring. So we need to be mindful in terms of how do we modulate this journey. Welcome back to The Futurists. I am your host, uh, Brett King. And in the hosting chair this week is my good pal, Brian Solis from Salesforce. Brian, welcome to the show. Back. Hey, it's 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 good to be back. I missed you. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, you know, it's it's the start of a new year and um, it's going to be certainly an energetic new year. There's a lot of really interesting things happening. Um, you know, AI, we're going to get into that today. But, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm really enjoying doing this show, but every week, you know, we, we are now getting into stuff that increasingly things that we talked about many, many years ago are starting to happen before our eyes, like the AI, like what's happening with climate impact and so forth. It's such an interesting time to be living. Um, you know, there, there's, it's not without its challenges, right? Obviously, but, um, you know, in the field of futurism, I think there's a lot of really interesting potential. You know, yeah, that's what uh, that's what Chad GPT tells me. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm going off on a tangent already, but um, anyway, we're going to get into AI today. We have a really interesting guest uh, from uh, Walmart. Uh, she works in the uh, um, the global uh, tech. Uh, business for Walmart, but specializes in AI in their lab. Srijana Karavamath, welcome to The Futurists. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to have this conversation. And where are you based, Srijana? I'm based off Bay Area. Bay Area. Okay. Right. Well, so you, you and Brian Howe from the same rough area, although he's in New York today. Oh, okay. So probably yeah, he escaped the, the floods area. and all the rains that we had experiencing <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. This is what I'm weeks. talking about, right? <laughs> this, you know, we didn't expect these sorts of things with the climate to be happening until the 2030s, right? That's Honestly, true. you know, like in the projections we had, but it seems to be happening now. We have these more extreme weather events more frequently and the Bay Area really got hit hard, you know, That's um, true. with this stuff. Yeah. yeah. But um, let's be positive. Mm-hmm. So what is, um, you know, obviously there's um, some very straightforward applications of artificial intelligence in Walmart, such as, yeah. you know, using robotics in factories to uh, improve the efficiency of the factories, potentially, you know, automated delivery technology. We know Walmart's been working on a series of drone uh, drone te- technologies. Uh, you know, obviously um, they've done partnerships with the robotic and autonomous vehicles in that play. Um, we could even think of maybe having robots and AI in, um, you know, the stores, you know, robot vacuum yeah. cleaners and floor cleaners and things. But um, so it sounds like a lot of potential AI use. So, um, you know, how, you know, where, what's your role in terms of the fit with, with all of that? Do you oversee a number of those programs? Are you deep diving on certain elements? Um, how does it work in terms of the AI practice at Walmart? Yeah, uh, wonderful question, uh, Brad. So, in terms of like in a, uh, my portfolio here at Walmart, I lead the artificial intelligence charter uh, for our omni retail business, as well as the new and emerging business in the consumer ad tech space, as well as data monetization space and membership space. These are all different businesses of Walmart. So we focus a lot on using uh, data and specifically AI algorithms to 
build various personalization systems, recommendation systems, voice conversational platforms. Um, and also when you talk about using drones uh, for delivery, definitely like that involves a lot of using competitive vision algorithms. Uh, when you talk about AI in the stores, we look at using shelf intelligence, again, using a combination of like uh, OCR techniques as well as the computer vision techniques. Uh, but also there is been a lot of usage of AI in the customer experience space, wherein we are right. building these conversational platforms as well. And especially due, during pandemic, uh, one of the prominent features that went out is like in a, creating this virtual fitting room experiences for our uh, customers, uh, especially the Gen Zs who are more prone uh, to doing this shopping online. And that kind of reduces our returns as well, because like you can try out different apparel. We launched uh, a series of new features, including be your own model as well. So uh, all interesting applications of AI and I'm fortunate to work with some interesting uh, team members who are AI experts, bringing in a lot of experience, handling humongous amount of data and deploying them at scale. Now, it's still a challenge finding the right talent, isn't it, in, in this environment? I mean, I know there's a shortage of tech people generally, but I heard this, I don't know if it's apocryphal, but I heard this story that Jeff Bezos went out and tried to hire a thousand data scientists, you know, a few years ago and basically said to his team, you can pay whatever you need to pay. And he could only get 600, right? This is what I heard, right? But, um, but yeah, you know, Brian, you know, maybe you jump in as well. I mean, um, you know, where, where are we going to get the talent for this? It seems like from an education perspective, you know, we've got some, some challenges itself getting more people interested in the fields of AI and these, t these robotics and, and so forth. Absolutely. Sir John, I have so many questions for you and I'm trying to hold them back. Uh, maybe, Brett, we could have a three or four hour episode this time around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, Sir John, there's two things I want to ask and they're both very different, but I do want to build on what Brett is asking because I know you've been involved in also trying to expand the net that companies cast in order to bring on AI professionals and experts within the organization, specifically in the areas of diversity. Uh, and I'd love to hear about the challenges that you see, but also some of the creative ways that maybe they're not thinking about to expand their candidates uh, for yeah. possible consideration. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of like, you know, overall uh, getting the talent, right? So Brett really uh, touched upon a very important point, right? So there is definitely this need of data scientists uh, within the industry because AI is evolving and a lot of, lot of other industries which did not have these dimensions of AI applications earlier are now trying to explore uh, applications of AI within their space. However, uh, the challenge is not just about getting the talent, but also the talent that can adopt with the uh, industry needs over time, right? So because when I started uh, 10, 10 to 15 years ago, uh, it was primarily looking at a data scientist should have some sort of skill sets around ability to handle humongous amount of data sets programmatically because we are uh, getting a lot of data. Also having a decent understanding of statistics and a bit of a domain knowledge. But today, the expectations from data scientists is much more because the expectation is they need to have and, very yeah. good understanding of like technology stack and achieve computational efficiencies right, right. because that's a humongous uh, resource investment for the company, right? So now, because that's evolving uh, over a period of time, I do not believe that we'll have this genre of uh, 
professionals called as data scientists. We'll have AI experts who'll be bringing in a lot of uh, nuances around bringing in innovation through different nuanced techniques of deploying these models or coming up with uh, pure statistical modifications to models. And then we'll have another set of uh, talent who are machine learning engineers who have this ability to deploy the models in the production environment and scale them effectively, right? So because most of the data scientist jobs would be done by AutoML applications that we have on GCP or AWS, right? So uh, I believe that becomes uh, a little bit of an interesting mix and we need to start getting ready to hire similar kind of a talents. Having said that, the industry is maturing. Not all the teams uh, would require applications that would be AI driven. Uh, there could be a value chain wherein we are looking at applications which could require simple regression models uh, to solve the problems, right? So uh, there needs to be an analysis of the overall value chain and like, you know, how do we help the organization evolve through this value chain, right? Um, in terms of the second aspect that you spoke about around diversity, as we are seeing more and more AI applications uh, across different industries and touching different sections of the society, it only makes sense for us to have the equal representation amongst the people who are developing these uh, algorithms and these products, right? However, that is not a case at this point of time, right? So women in tech statistics indicate that 80% of the technology jobs are held by men and only 20% being held by women. And 26% of the computing related jobs are held by women. And out of that, only 3% being held by Asian women. Um, and this creates kind of a disparity uh, and pandemic has not helped at all because we have seen that uh, at least the caregiving, because of the caregiving responsibilities, it has led to some sort of psychological, emotional challenges around well-being for women, uh, resulting in many women being displaced from the technology workforce. All right. So yeah. that kind of creates a challenge around this aspect of bringing in more diversity and inclusion and requires organizations to be more thoughtful around acquiring and getting more talents. I think, I think we need women to help us train these models, frankly. You know, we need that emotional sensitivity. I know that's cliche, but we need that, um, we, we need that diversity in the models that we're building, you know, and that's all, or bias is already clearly a problem in, yeah. in, uh, you know, machine learning. Indeed. So, Sir John, can I ask, a, I'm just going to ask a, a quick question and then I have a follow on question, which is, uh, do you have, based on your work, because I know you've, you've done a lot in helping to raise awareness for diversity, do you have any recommendations for companies in, or, in order to think differently about how they're, like for Jeff Bezos, if he's, if he's listening, you know, how does he get the other 400 by thinking uh, through diversity? Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, Data science uh, is an interdisciplinary skill, right? So uh, it requires people to work in a collaborative fashion with the product teams, with engineering teams, work very closely with uh, the legal and governance team as well, because we are seeing a lot of unintended consequences of AI application. Mm -hmm. More and more, uh, we are seeing that the AI algorithms are even like you know, playing a role in terms of screening the candidates, right? So I think mm -hmm. it's going to be a balance in terms of not necessarily just having the algorithm screen the candidates, but also being thoughtful in terms of looking at how do we bring in more representation? How do we make sure the algorithms that these uh, or the data sets these algorithms are being trained on are more representative in nature, right? So I think okay. we need to kind of look at it uh, at, through multiple facets here. You know, see, that, that right there is something that, Brett, to your point that you just made, is that there's an intentionality 
behind how those algorithms are even executed. And yeah. so the intention of saying, let us explore more diversity in the candidates that we consider has to be trained but also has yeah. to be explicit uh, from whoever's uh, whomever's leading that program. So for those listening, that that means that you have to consider then deploying or updating, upgrading, I should say, the algorithm for exactly what Sri John is talking about. So the, yeah. I, I do want to bring up a timely thing uh, just simply because I'm here in New York uh, attending the National Retail Federation Convention, uh, which Walmart is clearly talked about everywhere, down every aisle. Uh, the the thing about retail is that it isn't just about what a store looks like it's everything in terms of how it operates inventory supply chain customer customer experience you mentioned earlier uh, it's, the data sets are 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 mind numbing uh humongous uh but also very specific in terms of how you have to process that data understand it refresh that data to keep up with trends and i just wanted to ask you something i was in a meeting yesterday with a very large retailer and the question of AI came up with understanding, you know, when it comes to customer experience, what is, is there an all-knowing data set or what are the best practices that you're seeing in terms of applying AI to enhance areas of, of the customer experience, but then also as the customer relationship? And it was a really interesting question because I think the the answer that they were looking for was Give us a black box of which we can plug in this brain to, but I think uh, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, very good and a very relevant question here, uh, Brian. So, machine learning algorithms are the statistical representation of the world that we live in. They need to be trained on uh, different kinds of data sets. And when you're talking about organizations like Walmart, which have got humongous amount of data because of the transaction information that we collect. Um, this data runs into petabytes, right? So there is this focus on looking at how do we productionalize these data sets and productionalize these models and help the organization evolve because we cannot necessarily use the AI algorithms to solve specific use cases because we are talking about the enterprise scale and different geographies of operations as well as different channels of operations, right? So this is where we start focusing on evolving and talking about using AI and productizing AI uh, to generate enterprise-wide results rather than focusing on building algorithms for individual use cases. Because productizing AI helps the organization move up the value chain. It helps drive innovation, utilize and enhance the intellectual capital of the organization, as well as it helps us uh, bring in tech standardization across uh, different geographies, right? Uh, but there are certain challenges associated with productizing data science, right? As you rightly mentioned around like a you know, bias that's there in the data sets, but also uh, there are issues around losing resource investments, right? So when you talk about the customer experience, most of the projects succeed, but sometimes because the customer behavior is evolving, if the projects do not succeed, the best case scenario is that you have just built a proof of concept and the worst case scenario is that you have built the entire product end to end and the results are not relevant okay. enough, right? So focusing on so mitigating do, those biases. Yeah, so you do talk about the personalization element and so forth. Um, and obviously we've talked about some of the more future focused um, projects like, um, you know, the, the drone delivery and so forth. But what innovations have you already put in place at the store level using AI? Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, uh, I can briefly touch upon that. So the, as I mentioned, like, you know, at, at the store level, right? So there are, uh, there is shelf intelligence, right? When we talk about like, you know, maybe looking at scanning and looking at placing different products across different aisles, we need to kind of look at, uh, the space optimization. We also need to look at like, you know, how is the customer experience overall? But also when you took a look at this uh, from the online or the e-commerce perspective, we look at the digital uh, real estate uh, and we also look at valuating uh, the use of this, this this digital real estate as well. So there, the taxonomy, the product taxonomy and making sure that like, you know, we personalize the customer experience so that they are able to fetch the right items uh, at the right time because of the placement becomes very important, right? And also when you talk about the creating the virtual fitting rooms, again, that requires a lot of CV, uh, OCR applications as well. But uh, one uh, specific applications that I wanted to kind of mention wherein we see that the customer experience is evolving, uh, but uh, there may be some sort of unintended consequences associated with that as well, right? So we are like, you know, very conscious about using the voice conversational platforms and making sure that they have got multilingual translation abilities, semantic sentiment extraction abilities, right? So just deploying uh, the voice conversational platforms with only one uh, language uh, is not going to help uh, our customers and not... Uh, especially useful if we have like, you know, certain data sets that also concentrate on certain other languages as well, right? So to make sure that we are efficiently using our data sources and driving innovation, we need to bring in these aspects as well. Interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. when let's let's take a slice of that because AI is, is feeding every facet, it sounds like, of, of the Walmart business. Uh, I, I recently read that uh, even on the logistics side that Walmart as a service is going to start helping retailers uh, with with logistics, with CX, with uh, with e-commerce implementations. So, so fascinating. When you think about uh, the AI algorithms that you use to then drive whatever innovation pilots that you're going to consider, so say virtual dressing room, for example, what is what does that process look like, and who's on the other the other end of receiving that data? So when you find these interesting patterns, who says this is incredible? I think that's going to lead to a virtual showroom or whatever's or drones or whatever's next. Yeah. So we have a four in a box approach, right? So we have product, we have business, we have technology, which includes data engineering and data science. And also we have like a you know, CX UX uh, team, which is like in a customer experience and user experience team. So it's a combination of different inputs that go into making decision that come across all of these different teams, right? And also there is a legal and governance aspect as well because the regulatory framework is evolving. Uh, so it becomes extremely important to work very closely with the digital citizenship team in uh, driving these applications. For example, when you talk about the personalization, there is something that we talk about, okay, fine, like you know, we want to personalize, but we don't want to hyper-personalize because it leads to filter bubble, which keeps reinforcing the same interests and belief system amongst our customers, right? So there is some sort of a regulatory mandate as well as the governance perspective we take into consideration while making these decisions. Fair enough. Well, listen, it's almost time for breaks, Shrujano. So before we do the break, we like to do what we call the quick fire round, mm -hmm. the lightning round, asking you a few uh, questions. Normally you ask about sci-fi, but I'm, I'm going to ask about artificial intelligence this time. So uh, here is the lightning round. Okay. What was the first mention of artificial intelligence you can remember being exposed to in society, either via TV or books? Biofield cropping pattern. 
what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely... cropping pattern? Yeah, that's right. So the the realm of like in a data science, I was not necessarily exposed to. After completing my engineering, I was uh, placed with uh, the Energy and Resources Institute. And as a fresh engineering graduate, I was exposed to humongous amount of data on briofill cropping pattern. And I was asked to analyze this. And that's where I started. I got the first real world exposure to analytics and started my career as a data scientist. All right, so it was very tactical, very tactical. (laughs) Um, What technology do you think has most changed humanity? Technology in the sense like, you know, talking about within artificial intelligence. No, not necessarily, just generally. I, I believe internet surfing, internet yeah, as a technology. Okay, yeah, yeah. Hey, Brett, I'm, I'm going to add to that one, just uh, not that you asked me, but I'm going to say IVRs. What a, what a positive impact they've had on humanity. Yeah. I'm just kidding, yeah. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, na- name a futurist or an entrepreneur that has influenced you and why? Uh, so I... You're talking about science. Sorry, Brett, well, you had you, a follow-up a question. A futurist, an entrepreneur, a scientist, someone that's uh, influenced you. Yeah, I uh, definitely like uh, Elon Musk, uh, right? So some of his thinking, um, right? He's an entrepreneur, but also uh, not necessarily I agree to all of his viewpoints, uh, but especially like you know, using artificial intelligence in terms of space expedition and aviation. Yeah. Uh, that I think is really interesting. And with the launch of Perseverance, uh, as well as opportunity, I think there has been a lot of inundation of data and exploration of interspatial travel as well. Yeah, interesting. And the last one before break is what um, science fiction story that depicts artificial intelligence is most representative of the future that you hope for? Um, I use, uh, I read uh, Algorithms to Live By, all right, so by Brian Christian. So it has got numerous examples of using algorithms for human decisions making. So I think uh, we have multiple interesting anecdotes from that particular book uh, that are more applicable in the future context. Awesome, great. Yeah, thank you. All right, Brad, I'm going to just take us to break now. This is Brian Solis, and you are listening to The Futurists. We'll be right back. And after the break, we're going to talk about AI for good. Provoke Media is proud to sponsor, produce, and support The Futurist podcast. Provoke.fm is a global podcast network and content creation company with the world's leading fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. And of course, it's spin-off podcasts, Breaking Banks Europe, Breaking Banks Asia Pacific, and the FinTech Five. But we also produce the official Finnovate podcast, Tech on Reg, Emerge Everywhere, the podcast of the Financial Health Network, and NextGen Banker. For information about all our podcasts, go to provoke.fm or check out Breaking Banks, the world's number one FinTech podcast and radio show. Welcome back to The Futurists. I'm your co-host, Brian Solis. I'm here today with Brett King and our special guest, uh, Shujana Kataramu. Uh, We're going to bring her back on in just a second. But before we do, let's turn it over to Brett King to do a deep dive into the news from the future. I think we're talking about immigration today. Is that right, Brett? Absolutely. 
So this is obviously a contentious issue, immigration, but I just want to do some deep dive on this. The news came out this week that um, China is going to see a contraction in its population for the first time. Now, um, this is interesting because we predicted this would be 2026 when this would occur, and the pandemic has sped this up. Um, obviously, lockdown hasn't been favorable to uh, China's birth rate um, over the last couple of years. And this is a serious problem because one of the thing, one of the advantages the U.S. has over China is its immigration rate. And immigration is a massive stimulant for economic activity. In fact, there is a very strong argument to suggest that the U.S. couldn't have had the growth that it's had over the last few years or, you know, over the last few decades rather, or Europe um, without, um, you know, positive immigration policies. And I know this is an uncomfortable conversation for some in the US that sit on the right, but uh, recent research from the American Enterprise Institute shows that between 1990 and 2014, US economic growth would have been 15% lower without the benefits of immigration. But if you apply that to the UK, it would have been 10, 20% lower without immigration and across the EU generally, somewhere in the 20 to 30 points uh, lower range. Um, and so there is a measurable impact that immigration has on society because at the heart of each economy is consumption. And that's the reason that China's economy has been growing so successfully but consumption requires you to put more people into the market over time to grow that market beyond its current levels. You can only do that with either increasing the birth rate or with immigration. And so this is a really interesting piece. Now, if we look at the success of immigration in the US, it goes well beyond just uh, improving the economy. Um, you know, we see a 45% of Fortune 500 companies listed on the US stock exchange were founded by immigrants and the economic impact of that measures in the trillions of dollars. But here's the really interesting uh, impact, the issue that we, we talk about when we look at climate change. Climate change is also going to produce a flow of immigration, mass immigration globally because of food scarcity, because of weather conditions, eco-refugees. So we are naturally going to have that huge movement of people. But at the same time, we're seeing contracting birth rates across most countries in Western Europe now, or, or at least slowing. Italy is uh, um, you know, contracting, Japan is contracting, soon France and Germany will be in those situations. In the US, it's not until uh, the 2030s that that's going to happen, but it is also going to happen in the US. So if you align this, there's a fair chance, I think, that in the 2040s, immigration is going to become a, a significant competitive force in economic growth. It'll be one of the only levers left um, because artificial intelligence will already be changing the mix of resources and employment and things like that. You want real differentiation in terms of economic growth. You need, you're going to need consumption. You're going to need immigration or birth rates, and birth rates aren't going to get you there. So that's my news from the future this week. I hope it was of, of interest. But um, given the discussions we've seen on um, you know, China's uh, population uh, stall, growth stall there, and uh, the debate that goes on, continues in places like the United States and the UK on immigration, I thought that was a useful conversation. I do cover it off in uh, The Rise of Techno-Socialism. But uh, Srijana, let's... Uh, Let's jump into uh, a bit of, um, you know, AI for good. And you do work with the United Nations in some respect too. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, uh, definitely, Brett. So United Nations Association, uh, San Francisco chapter is, uh, I'm associated with that. I serve on the board. Uh, we do a lot of activities, right? But United Nations in general has been focusing on uh, global sustainable development goals. Uh, at the heart of this global sustainable goal development, uh, there's an urgent call for action uh, to achieve 17 sustainable development goals, which occur uh, in partnership with developing and developed nations and uh, focuses on elevation of uh, poverty, uh, deprivation, while also helping mitigate climate crisis, uh, increasing biodiversity, preserving our uh, forests and conserving our oceans, while also spurring economic growth, right? So, uh, this led to emergence it's, of... It's, it's a long shopping list of, of things. It's big ticket stuff too. Yeah, and this has led to the emergence of um, UN Global Pulse Policy uh, because it's understood that data happens to be the foundation in terms of setting the targets and achieving that, right? Uh, so so this leads into the question around AI as a as a you know, future thinker in this space. And, um, you know, you must think about the application of AI for doing broader good in society. You know, where, where do you see AI really being, um, you know, of leverage in respect to solving some of these bigger problems that we're going to have to deal with over the next 20 to 30 years? Yeah, so uh, there is a lot of usage of AI and AI is evolving and we are outsourcing a lot of decision-making ability to AI. Uh, however, in terms of the social good space, uh, it's just like in the nascent stage, primarily because we were not having clean data sources uh, to train the AI models that were publicly available, but UN has started consciously focusing on developing these uh, data sets uh, for public consumption and usage, right? Even in the United States, a lot of these agencies are putting together uh, certain data sources that are available on the websites, for example, Ocean Protection Council uh, and California Natural Resources Agency. So I believe a uh, lot of these data sets which are publicly available would lead to streamlining of AI applications and crowdsourcing of these applications and people analyzing that. Especially like, and I see some of the applications happen to be in mitigating the social menace uh, like human trafficking. Uh, also, I see a lot of applications of AI in the agriculture space. Yeah. Well, yeah. money laundering, you know, a lot of these areas will be able to use algorithms and they'll be far more effective than we are. You know, even just uh, what they've done with Shenzhen, the smart cities in terms of policing on the roads and, and order, you know, doing using AI and image recognition for to issue tickets like speeding tickets or if someone's not wearing a seatbelt, you just get a text message as a fine instead of sending out police force to do that. And it's far less risky and low impact. So there's a whole lot of range of, you know, social, you know, improvements that, that could come with uh, some of these techs. But it, it could also be invasive, right? Yeah, that's true. And that's why, like, and there's going to be emergence of rules uh, that would focus a lot on, like, regulating the applications of AI. Uh, ethical AI is a space that's going to grow uh, significantly, as well as cybersecurity space, because the data regulatory framework is evolving with right. new data privacy protection. Like GDPR and, and so yeah, forth. Yeah, CCPA. But, uh, you know, this is the problem with regulation. It tends to be backward looking because it tends to respond to risk. But the problem with AI is we have to build ethics in now. That's so, true. You know, what, many, what's the industry doing for that? Yeah, many people think that like an you know, ethical AI is focusing on how do we use the application to make it to bring in a better equity in terms of the up 
usage of these algorithms, right? But uh, it goes far beyond that, looking at like, and how do we do the feature engineering to all the stages of like, you know, building the model, validating that, and including creating the data sets uh, that are more inclusive, right? So we have seen many of these racist comments unleashed on social media because the algorithms were t- trained on these kind of a biased data sets, right? So uh, I believe the first uh, focus area for the industry is going to be around creating uh, inclusive and representative data sets to train these algorithms on. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I'd love um, to follow yeah, up. Yeah, why don't you it's jump okay, in, Brad, on, I work with a colleague, her name is Paula Goldman here at Salesforce, who leads uh, our AI ethics practice. And Shout out to Paula. We were, we were, uh, we were working on a, a program today that literally is putting a face to AI. So there's companies uh, out there that uh, are essentially uh, dig- representing digital humans, let's just say. And the the ethics, in terms of AI algorithms, but also in terms of the visualization then of of that AI. I I just love to hear your thoughts on what to keep in mind as we say, like in the examples Brett shared, uh, we're going to see, since you're working in CX, for example, we're going to see the application of a visualized AI in terms of customer service or clienteling in terms of shopper assistance or shopping assistance and would love to hear how you might be thinking about sort of this next level of AI ethics. Uh, and then I have a question for you afterwards about quantum. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of like, you know, uh, AI uh, ethics, right? So we look at especially in the retail sector, right? So there is uh, there are a lot of applications, but if you look at overall the supply chain, right? Making them more eco-friendly, uh, looking at making them more inclusive uh, is one of the areas, right? So also when you took a look at like an ethical AI, it does not uh, come outside of like in a governance as well, right? So governance and ethical AI should go hand in hand. Uh, as Brett mentioned, there are like in a lot of these backward looking policies uh, around regulations that are coming in, but also as we start looking at giving consent uh, and mandating consent, and as we are moving to the cookie-less world, all right? So the way you profile the customers, the way you personalize everything gets uh, the decision-making ability gets shifted uh, to the consumers, right? They can give the consent or they can even, they even have the right to kind of delete their all overall existence from the data set. So I believe if uh, there is going to be less power in terms of how data scientists could use the algorithms uh, to build these, uh, considering like you know, consumers are going to weigh in a lot going forward. You know, so let's bridge that back into the the work that you've done around social good. And you you live in uh, in Northern California. Uh, we've had our fair share of atmospheric rivers in the last uh, last few weeks. Uh, that we've also had devastating wildfires. Is that like a weatherman week. term, atmospheric rivers. That's it, pretty interesting. It is. It is. Uh, it, we're cool. no longer the futurists. Now we're the weathermen. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you, you know, earlier when we talked about applying AI uh, pattern recognition to drive innovation at Walmart uh, and that you have someone on the other end to, to, to receive that information, think about it and to execute. So, do you feel like there are things that need to be done in order to raise the, the, I guess, raise the flag around the AI work being done to say, let's look at prediction models uh, around 
not just climate change, but the actual impact of things that are going to drive what Brett was talking about in terms of immigration, uh, what like eco-immigration, for example, what do we need to do as a society to get that information into the hands of people who are going to take it seriously and act upon it? Yeah. So, uh, this requires a lot of mobilization and awareness uh, generation, right, Brian? So there are multiple stakeholders, uh, even like, you know, for example, if you look at the nonprofit organization, right? So they are doing a lot of work. Uh, let's say, take the example of Global Emancipation Network, right? So they are using computer vision algorithms to detect uh, what are the potential uh, sources for human trafficking and providing that to the law enforcement authority. But law enforcement authorities would have like a limited bandwidth to kind of attend to all of that, right? So it becomes extremely important uh, for us to start looking at considering these stakeholders and generating that awareness and mobilizing them uh, and taking them along. Uh, but also it requires a lot of uh, corporate and public-private partnership as well, right? So uh, computational efficiencies, computational power are extremely important as we start training these algorithms, if, especially if these algorithms are available from the UN field agencies, humongous data sets. So it becomes important for corporates uh, to partner with nonprofit organizations to drive this kind of a momentum and awareness all along. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I think, Brett, I know that uh, we're going to come to the top of the hour here, but uh, maybe, uh, Shrijan, I, I'm wanted... interested in the quantum question too. You you raised okay. that earlier, but you know what what um, you know if we're getting futuristic, where does yeah. quantum fit into AI? Because you know I I don't hear a lot of AI practitioners talking about you know, applications of quantum as yet, but it's got to be coming, right? Yeah, and 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 just to put the little, uh, the icing on that one, uh, Shajana, is that when I was at NASCOM in, in India, as COVID was uh, breaking out, uh, I, I was there to explore the role of quantum in, in tackling some of these bigger issues like climate change. And I would love to hear sort of where we are in that that evolution in, in AI of uh, how, you know, how soon can quantum driven AI or AI-driven quantum tackle these scenarios and, and, and what's going to be different about it? Yeah, let's take an example of like in a deforestation, right? So we have... Uh, we have satellite images, all right? And uh, we have a lot of information that we could use, but also we need like you know, geosensing information, all right? So we cannot necessarily make a lot of predictions just based on satellite images. So it requires like an internet of things using quantum information uh, coming from multiple sources and driving uh, these kind of a predictions, right? So I think it's going to be uh, focusing on looking at multi-dimensional data sets and looking at how do we integrate that and bring those synergies, right? So uh, I see that it, the evolution has started. We have started looking at like, you know, using quantum to drive a lot of these decisions, but there's still a long way to go uh, because of the unintended consequences associated with uh, AI. We don't know what kind of a consequences, uh, right. whether positive or negative it would bring, right? So we need to be mindful in terms of how do we modulate this journey. But, you know, I, I this this frustrates me, this conversation, right? You know, we have the the Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, AI hawks, right? And then we have the others, the pro, pro AI world. Um, you know, what always frustrates me about this is we spend so much time debating whether AI will be good or bad, right? When we should be just simply preparing for the introduction of AI into society, 
we should be thinking about the regulations that, um, you know, restrict AI or make it, um, you know, positive and ethical for society. And we should be implementing, you know, those guidelines on a global basis to ensure that it's a positive future rather than just, let's just hope for the best. Hopefully it's going to be good and not bad, right? You know, it's like, uh, and, but we don't even know if it's actually going to happen, right? Like AI, you know, I don't, look, you look at chat GPT now, it's not taking anybody's job, right? This is the conversation you hear, right? And it yeah. frustrates me because we should be doing more planning and, and more thinking about that. So he, here's what I want you to take us on a, a journey with Srijana's. Take us out 30 or 50 years. What is the world going to be look like um, from an AI perspective? And you can be dystopian or utopian in that view, but, um, you know, what's that potential world look like in 30 years with AI infused in society? Yeah, so I uh, do not believe like, you know, we need to debate a lot uh, in terms of uh, positive or negative consequences. Yeah, is going to be here. It's going to evolve. It's going to stay. All right. So we need to just embrace uh, for this future uh, with AI. I believe like, you know, AI is going to find huge applications uh, and we are going to work on looking at creating certain ecosystems, uh, especially like, you know, interspatial travel as well as aviation and creating ecosystems to live on uh, other planets is going to be something something that's going to evolve. Uh, there's a huge focus uh, around that. And also uh, in terms of improving longevity for human beings, right? And yeah. um, also to mitigate certain crises around like an you know, eliminating world hunger, uh, we would have applications of AI that's going to help us achieve all of these consequences. I just saw some news today. I don't know whether you guys saw this. It's on um, futurism.com. Well, it's actually on the Byte, which is their uh, newsletter. Mr. Beast, you know, the number one, world's number one YouTuber, hopeful that science will let him live several hundred years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's like, isn't that a, isn't that what all futurists are hoping for? And, we we are know. already seeing the longevity uh, increasing. There are stats that indicating that. And uh, with advanced AI uh, helping with improve, improving yeah. the healthcare facilities, I don't think it's going to be very difficult to reach that state. Uh, well, you're not, you're not the only one. We had Aubrey de Grey on a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you got the chance to listen to that episode yet, Brian, but he was fabulous. And I learned a ton about longevity stuff and some assumptions I had that were wrong actually, but, uh, um, uh, so, so longevity is going to be there. Um, but how do you think our, um, our children's generation will think of AI in the future? So I believe there is going to be less distinction between like an augmented reality virtual, uh, as compared to the, the reality that, and they would be using a lot of AI in terms of like, and how, because they are already digitally native, right? So in terms of how they perceive uh, the environment and like, you know, they would uh, use a lot of AI in the educational system as well. So I think it has got pros and cons, uh, but it's important for us as parents to start embracing uh, that this is how the evolution would happen and like, and get our children ready for this particular future. I, I wonder. I wonder if it'll be just as simple as, uh, for example, in, our children are already familiar with augmented reality in the sense that they're already applying filters to many of the the, uh, the images and in, in, in videos that they use in AI. We'll just 
like ChatGPT, just you know, the number one adopter of that is our, our already students uh, doing yeah. uh, doing their homework. So, well, Jordan, um, before we um, before we wrap up, why don't you help uh, bring us home? Let's talk about uh, the future of AI at Walmart. What you're excited about? Uh, what whatever you can speak about in terms of what's next. Uh, what what can we think about in terms of the future of AI at Walmart and then just retail at large? Yeah, across retail, I see a lot of applications of AI, uh, especially when you talk about the customer experience with ChatGPT, a lot of things are going to evolve, uh, right? And uh, the content creating as well as the ad business are going to transform tremendously because like, you know, it just, it's going to impact like how we search, how we personalize, how the ad revenue gets uh, generated, all right? Uh, Also, we need to look at like, you know, uh, drone delivery. And so there's going to be a lot of usage of AI in terms of already like in Walmart and various other retailers are starting uh, to use drone deliveries. But I believe this is just going to increase and it's not going to be only domestically, but also internationally. And we are looking at uh, interplanetary travel uh, as well at some point of time in terms of delivery of goods as we start looking at inhabiting certain ecosystems in different planets. Wow. Wonderful. <laughs> that's pretty uh out there thank you very much Shujana. i had to put in the uh the clap track because the clap track because that was pretty that was fun so but um thank you very much for joining us how do people find out about the stuff you're doing at walmart or stay in touch with you personally yeah they can reach out to me on linkedin um and uh you know i would love to have those conversations with them great fantastic Well, all the best, and thanks for coming on The Futurists uh, this week. Um, Brian, thanks for joining me as co-host again. Of course. Always always a pleasure. So thank you, Brian. Fantastic. And uh, we hope to to have you back on soon. Um, For for those of you listening, uh, obviously the show is making tremendous progress. We just passed our 150,000th download, which is in record time. So we are, um, you know, we have maintained our spot as the number one futurist show, futurist focused show. So that's fantastic. Thank you for the support. If if you can, uh, please uh, tweet us out, you know, and post to the show. um, you know, uh, share share uh, some of the episodes with your friends. If you can leave us a review, any of those sort of things really help. Um, uh, you know, obviously. And if you haven't subscribed, hit that subscribe button, as the YouTubers say. All right, hit that subscribe button and and join us every smash week. Smash it, smash it, absolutely. Smash the smash the subscribe icon or whatever they say. Yeah. Um, but uh, we have a little tagline at the end of the show. I don't know if you remember it, Brian. But uh, thanks for joining us. But we'll see you on the futurists in fact we'll see you in the future well that's it for the futurists this week if you like the show we sure hope you did please subscribe and share it with the people in your community and don't forget to leave us a five-star review that really helps other people find the show and you can ping us anytime on instagram and twitter at at futurist podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future.